we should just do if you like. This is Lucky to Lead. That was so good. Okay. Just drop your best one. Welcome to Lucky to Lead. You're talking shit about me? <laughs> Welcome this is to Lucky, Lucky to Lead. lead. Five at five. It's eight thirty. It's, <laughs> it's nine thirty on the East Coast. So. Uh, what's, what's up, Dave? Good to be back, man. It's been a little hiatus. We had a, a little cancellation issue with some weather from a buddy of mine. So good to be back. Good to be back uh, with with everybody. That's for sure. I just feel like we're not official until we had a cancellation. So we got we got what under our belt, you know. The the, um, the booker, the the agents, man, they got it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited that we kept it rolling, and today we have Antwi, my guy. Um, what's up, man? I'm so happy you're on. Man, I'm I'm great. Excited to be here, man. Um, it's another great day to be to achieve our goals, and I just want to talk about my story and tell everybody how I got where I got in life. That's I'm already fired up. This is the this is the <laughs> intro we needed, brother. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> so let uh, listen. Let's kick right into it. Uh, I know you know what we do. Um, people kind of know what the, what the flow is. So we'd love to just kick it off to you and hear about what are you doing now uh, in leadership or in your life that that brings you to this leadership conversation. Well, um, that's a great question. I have a lot going on right now at the moment. So I'll start off with. Um, I'm from Toronto, Ontario. Um, I played high school and college basketball. I played about eight years pro basketball. My position always been a point guard. Um, so I've always been a leader or an extension of the coach on the floor. Um, and even in the locker room, I've always been a leadership guy. Um, that kind of led into these transferable skills that I obtained from basketball and leading in basketball to what I'm doing now, which is I am an assistant general manager for a professional basketball team in Canada called the Niagara River Lions. And also... Just recently, no one knows about this. This may be coming out. This may be a hot take. Exclusive also, hot take. Exclusive. Freeze. Exclusive. <laughs> exclusive. I am now a general manager of amateur baseball league team in Canada called the Mississauga Tigers. Um, yeah, just just signed a couple of days ago. No one knows about this. They're going to release it on Wednesday or Thursday. Oh, congrats, man. S- send Thank the swag. You. Send the swag. Yeah, We're ready. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a tiger. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I'm super excited about that. Um, it's another leadership role. It's just it's sports management. is just ways to infect kids and, and, and change their lives in a positive way. So any way I can do that, um, that's what I'm in my greatest position. So I'm excited about that. That's what I'm doing now, currently. I love that. I lo- yeah, man, so uh, quick, quick backstory. And to, I think I reached out to you on Instagram and I was like, hey, you know Irv, I know Irv, he's good peoples. I see you're doing this brand. I would love to work with you. And then I'm pretty sure in two or three days, we got on, we actually we met at Starbucks, which is- At Starbucks. Coincidentally enough, Dave, this is where you interviewed me for- Boom. It's where you, it's your best hire. You've Full circle, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to say like a week later, we, we had a, a concept of brand and we launched on your website. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, it was sort of like this serendipitous moment where I started getting into fedoras um, probably a year and a half ago. And I always wanted to do collaborate with somebody that can kind of bring this vision to life of like a fedora that kind of tells his own story. And when I seen your work, I'm like, this is the perfect guy. Like every piece that I seen you do, like told its own story. Like it was a storyline in its own. And we came together and literally everything we spoke about, you brought to life. So I'm super blessed just to even be a part of that process. 
Fun times. Wild. Yes. Um, well, let, let's get back to your story. So you're in this, un, you're in this like what I would consider to be like one of the pinnacles of leadership if you're in your field. You are in sports, you're in leadership, you're in management and in business. It's, it's just such a great, such a great uh, blend of all the things that we love, right? So what, what led you to that path? Well, um, while I was a player, um, I used to be always, um, like I said, the point guard, which is usually playing a leadership role on the team. And I would not just on the court, I would know um, to get the most of my players off the court, I'd have to build relations with these guys and build a rapport. And throughout these, throughout these experiences, I learned something called relationship equity. I learned how to build relations with my teammates, with their peers, and knowing how to get the most out of them using that. Once I started getting in the business field, I realized that's a real big transferable trait is building relationship equity and building, building rapport with players and understanding how they, how, what, what gets them to go and what doesn't get them to go, et cetera. Um, so that's the reason why when I became first a manager of basketball players, pro basketball players, and doing community work, um, these situations presented itself because I built relationships with people in the front office of organizations and they've seen something in me um, and they've seen um, a lot of driving myself and they thought I'll be great for the position I'm in now. So I'm still building towards where I really want to go. That's to be an NBA general manager. I mean, let's talk about relationship equity. <laughs> yeah. Blown, mind blown. Yeah, this is, this is what we need. So again, I know we told you this before, Antwi, but we truly believe that no matter who you are and what terminology you use and whatever, it's, there's a few core components. And the first thing is people, always, always people. And that's, yes. what I, that's what I'm hearing. But could you tell us more about relationship equity? Well, the, the biggest thing about relationship equity that the way you build equity in relationships is adding value. That's how I look at things in life. If I'm going into a relationship just taking from it and always wanting something from it, the person's probably not going to stop answering the call after the fifth time you call because it's energy draining. They're not getting their return of energy or the ROE back from dealing with you. So the biggest thing in relationship equity is that I um, pattern myself after is finding ways to add value to someone else um, and finding ways to find a gap or a hole maybe in their business or maybe in their life that I can help plug in or help them add value in any separate way, shape, or form. And that's how you build equity in relationships. And keeping that balance of being able to help somebody that so in return, if, they need, if you need help from them, it'll be easier like one, one hand wash the other or you're bringing something to the table. Um, that's the key for me, key components. Now, Antoine, you talk about the relationship equity and the return on investment and return on equity. And I love all that. How do you deal? Because I know you've, I did my homework a bit. I, I looked you up. I Googled you, the power of the internet. Um, but uh-huh. I, I, I want to be sure to understand. So you've dealt with the the like pinnacle of NBA players, right? Yeah. I know James Harden, you've been involved with him for a number of years when he, you know, throughout his career. And now you're dealing with, I don't want to say, you know, you're dealing with kind of a minor league system, right? And, yeah. and guys that are just trying to get out there and get their name out there and start their, their, their career. How do you manage to bring that relationship equity to a guy like James Harden and then to guys that are just trying to get their, their career started? How do you balance that? That's a great question. Um, I think the best way to balance that or best way I've balanced it now is being extremely open-minded and listening to players because someone like James Harden or 
a top-level NBA player may have the same exact problems or may have the same exact concerns as a player who's just got out of college who's trying to become a pro itself just in different terminology or just with right. a different pay grade. This way, it may be more expensive, if it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. the same exact problem to its core if you pay attention right. to the details of what they're doing. So what I try to do is I try to listen a lot. I try to be a great listener. And when I hear the problems and I detect a reference point of maybe it's going to happen when, with another player, but he's in the NBA, even though you're in the minor leagues, you're going through the same thing, meaning you don't know how to balance your life between your family life and your basketball life, et cetera, just in different ways. I find ways to correlate the two. It's a difficult way, but you have to just be a great listener and be open-minded and you can't push people out. I love it. And I think that like kind of the follow on, like, would you, you obviously have to evaluate talent, right? That's probably yes. a lot of probably 80, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's probably 80, 90% of your job is evaluating talent. Um, I'll put this is 98%, okay. 98%. 98% is evaluating talent. Right. 100%. And is that sometimes a tough conversation to have with guys that either think they're better than they are or, um, or don't have enough, you know, um, uh, confidence to, to realize that they are that talented? How do you go about that, those different conversations? Yeah, that's been the most difficult thing. Um, you want to you wanna be transparent with a player and you want to let them know exactly where they stand. But what I try to do is I try not to take someone's confidence directly from them when it's a mm-hmm. plus to their game. If it's a player that may not have all the skill and athleticism in the world, but they just think they're better than they are so they work harder, that's cool. If it's a player that may not be as skilled or may be skilled, but their confidence makes them think they should have the ball every single time, and now it's adding to their ego and it's hurting the team, I will tell them they're probably the worst player on the team because this is what they're doing. So it's kind of like you have to build the rapport with the player and have a great feel. I call it reading the room. Like, if you read the room, um, the room will tell you exactly how to place your words. And I do a great job of, like, reading the room and what players I can kind of push and pull from. And do you think that that stems from – your time as a player or how do you think that's developed or like, how, how do you feel like your what's been your path to be able to get to that point? Cause you always hear leaders of being a, being able to hold a room and then B being able to read a room. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so do you think that path is, has been developmental or was there a, a, a aha moment for you in that process? Um, I think it was definitely developmental um, because there's points in my career where I didn't care what the room felt. Even though I was leader, I was the best player on the team, so I didn't care. It was either you fall in line or get off, or get off the boat until um, I would say college when I was the best player on the team, but I wasn't getting played at the best player on the team. So I had to find ways to add a value even when I wasn't on the court and affect the team in a positive way. And that's when the aha moment came my senior year when I had to learn to read the room and learn how I can get the most out of players even when I'm not playing um, to help our team win because the end goal was to win. So that's when it was senior year. So one of the things that we're talking about right now, and for me, what I call this is intuition or people Mm -hmm. will refer to it's my gut, you know, and how do you use that feeling of, okay, now's the moment. So to me, I think of intuition or my gut, like a muscle. And I want to talk a little bit about how have you flexed that muscle over time? I imagine there was probably, you probably made some mistakes you probably made some calls that your gut told you one way and, you're, and you went the other, and then you realize, okay, I should never go against my gut. Talk to us about how you flex the muscle and, and maybe a time when you went away from it and it was just only a reassurance that you should trust your gut. Yeah, there's there the time. That's a great question. There's the time. I call it 
um, institutional wisdom, which is school and being able to read in the books and intuitional wisdom, which is trusting your gut and understanding like when your mind or your intellect is telling you to do something or your intelligence quotient. I'm a big um, gut. I'm a, a big gut guy, Antwi. Me too. I, I've learned, <laughs> I've learned to actually not just trust my gut, but sometimes know what's going on, but not flex that muscle. Because sometimes when you flex that muscle, it can lead to repercussions because the room isn't ready to hear that yet, especially in what position that you were in. So there's times like before earlier in my career um, in the management field, working with players, I knew for a fact what we were doing as an organization or as a business was the opposite of what the brand was, was going. But if, if I'm by myself saying these things and 15 other people in the room are saying the opposite, I had to learn to fall back and not use my intuition and watch us fail first, but still stand on what I said, if that makes sense. No, no absolutely. Right no, no. And, and I think that's one of the beautiful parts of leadership is that it is, it's truly art and science. Like there's, you can't pinpoint the right way to approach the situation, but I would imagine that the three of us, obviously very small group here, but the three of us would agree that there are moments when you may be right, but that doesn't make it the right call. Right. Uh, that's the best way to put it. Like I am completely right. I'm a thousand percent right, but it doesn't make it the right call, especially that's not my role. The people so, who get paid that money to do that should be understanding it's not the right call. And let's just boil it down to like some of the simplest terms, which is always, it always goes back to sports. So me and Dave coach lacrosse together. Um, I, I coach the defense. One of the things that made us success or made the group successful is when, when we learned that it doesn't matter if you're in the defense that I call, as long as y'all are in the same defense. Right. You know what I mean? And that's like Makes the sense. beautiful thing uh, that I think back to like intuition and, and reading the room in the gut where I could be right. But if we're all on a different page, let's just be on that page right now. That's more important. Right. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to elevate that, that part of the conversation. I, I felt like that's and, we, and we're talking about, you know, how you talk to individuals and how you read the room. How big do you think is the vocabulary? Um, that's oh. one of the themes that, that we've talked about a bunch that I think for me has been um, eye-opening, I should say, as a leader to recognize the, a the vocabulary for when is appropriate, when it's not, but also when you're having those tough conversations, how a tweak of a word can make someone feel a certain some way. And then another tweak can have a complete opposite effect. Can you speak to that a little bit? That's an amazing point. Today was one of my first meetings um, with a parent um, that were recruiting a player. Um, and the player is from um, more of an urban community. And obviously baseball is more of a white sport, but the player um, is from more of, is a black player and from more of an urban community. And we're in this meeting and it's, I call it, it's code switching. Um, and I know the, I have a relationship with the, with the father beforehand. And the father isn't as sure if he should bring this player over to our program, even though he just realized I'm the GM now, the player, the, the, he's talking in a certain diction or in a code with the organization. But when he speaks with me, he's speaking in a whole different code. So I was able to communicate with him in the code or the diction that he knew that was familiar with him, and he got so comfortable. Once I started speaking in his same code, he mm -hmm. really, like, opened up about exactly what he wanted to do. So being able to code switch, I think, in a, in a leadership form is the most important thing because it's all about not communication. It's all about comprehens comprehensive communication, being able to make someone comprehend what you're saying. Some people, you can be able to talk to them very, very professionally, and they get it. 
Some people want to hear slang. Some people want to hear whatever the case may be. So being able to understand and tap in to what's going to get their prefrontal cortex to open up is everything to me. Can I just add to that conversation? Yes. Code switching is something that I've dealt with for my entire life. I, you know, it's when you hear, well, you talk white. I, like, I don't know what that means. Right, right, right. Whatever it is. But I can tell you that it's actually helped me become a better leader because exa- and I didn't, I don't think I um, so eloquently put it until, you, you know, the way you just did, which is, it's not about, it's not about how I sound or the communication. And I'll actually take it one more step than about the comprehension. I think it's about trust. Yes. If the way I'm talking to you is going to make you trust me because I mm-hmm. sound like you sound and I sound comfortable for you, to me, I'm building trust. And I don't think there's anything more important in leadership than trust. Um, so that I just wanted to spin it a little bit in kind of what you just educated me on, but really like what, what I think about when I think of that conversation. Yeah, I agree 100%. I feel like... Um... Some guys need to feel like they're talking in a barbershop in order to be comfortable. Some guys need to feel like they're talking on the golf course in order to be comfortable. So being able to tap into that in code switch and build that trust through linguistics and language is everything. Yeah, that's huge. I think that's so important. And then I think the other piece that leads me into is your, your kind of position of, you know, you were a player. I'm sure you thought about coaching at some point as well, or if you have coached, I'm sure. How, how do you disconnect from the GM to the player uh, in a sense that I can see myself, I'm a coach, that's my living. I'm, that's only really, aside from being in the military, that's the only thing I've ever done. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could sit back and just watch the players and not oh. have that like, wait, why aren't they full court pressing right now? Or why oh. aren't they doing like, <laughs> how do you disconnect those oh. things now in your role? Because that's got to be, I know I'd be jumping out of my seat. All I know I'm is so, that I, I will never coach Dave's kid if he's on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, um, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, this, this whole summer series that we just had, um, that's been the most challenging thing because a lot of the players, I'm not that far removed from being a player. Yeah, I, that too. I, I, yeah. I, I competed against a lot of the players playing now. And so when I'm watching the game, it's like it's eating me alive not to be out there so I can control the game and, and make sure we can win by, by being on the court. But then I, then I understand that's the challenge in this. That's the whole challenge is getting players to channel your inner culture or your inner or what you want to bring out on the court of the team is finding guys that, that have that ethos built in them. Yeah. So you don't got to go on the court and play. It's kind right. of like you, they, they already understand that or you make them understand that because it, it hurts you inside when you see a guy bent over for a loose ball versus diving for a loose ball. Yeah, you do not want to win, but you say the things that make it sound good that you want to win a championship, but you do the opposite of the actions. And I can't have guys like that. So that's been, it's been tough. Your, your main goal then is building the culture. That's the main goal. You can't control the, the actual play that you got coaches, you hire people to do that. Right, right. So your job, it's so interesting. I never thought about a GM in that regard, but really it is, is, you're putting those chess pieces together for lack of yes. a better way. I mean, I understand it's a person behind that chess piece, but at the same time, you're putting that chess piece together that's going to fit your overall vision of your culture. Right. That, the whole thing is building a culture, um, creating structure and infrastructure for guys to fall in line and lead 
in their own ways because they understand what, we, what we're here for. But there's some guys that do, they're good with lip service. They'll tell you all the right things and get on the court and do the opposite or get yeah, off the court okay. and do the opposite of what we're trying to win. And that's when you see successful organizations is when you have leaders like, let's say, LeBron James, um, from, from the top is telling the guys who want to work hard to win a championship, we have to do A, B, and C to get there. Once the game is over, every single game, when he hits 0, zero, zero LeBron immediately starts recovering for the next game. Immediately. Zero, 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 he's already in recovery mode for the next game because he cares that much about winning. That trickles down. That's a trickle-down effect. So now when guys are going to the club, they're like, man, I got to get some rest. We can't go to the club. LeBron's counting on me tomorrow. I got to get yeah. some liquid in my body. I, I got to get iced down. I got to get stretched. We all got to start recovering because our best players are recovering. So what are we doing? So right. that's how you build the culture. It's interesting because we were talking earlier about Irv, right? And he actually mm-hmm. spoke to, came and spoke to our team, and it was unbelievable. But he mentioned two players in particular, same team, NBA superstars. One guy had it, like you're saying, recovery, was thinking about the next game, film, everything else. When he was, you know, he probably didn't have to be doing that because he was such a talented person. Same guy doing different things, motivated by different things of, money, cars, all the other stuff, and their career trajectory has changed. Yes. And, and he was mentioning just how – and the other guy had more talent probably. Yeah, uh, usually that's how it is. And it's just so interesting that you're bringing up that same point of how important that is of that mentality. And I think it's, you know, to your point of, of building the culture, I think it's so cool that you've dived into that and you're willing to – I think how – and I think as I'm thinking out loud – how do you, you're not a baseball guy. So no. what's your, you obviously are a basketball guy. You played in college. What's your, is your approach anything different in your GM yep. role as a baseball GM compared to a basketball GM? Yeah. The thing is from my approach with a baseball GM, um, first off, uh, my second sport was baseball. Okay. So, All I right. always, so you get it. No, no, but I, but I still don't know like the intricacies and the details of baseball. Like how I know basketball. Right. So I would be for, for me to walk into some of these, big time players and guys on the team are already pros and try to talk details of baseball, they'll probably not trust me anymore to say anything. Um, period. When I'm telling a shortstop that should, he should probably be playing center field because he's faster or whatever the case may be, it'd be like, bro, I'll be designed for a million dollars with the Florida Mar- Marlins. What are you talking about? Et cetera. So my big thing is, is getting into their mind. My big thing is teaching mental. That's all I worry about with these guys is mentality and building a winning culture. And what do you have to do to get to the extra mile? Who's going to wake up early and get guys to come work out with them? Who's going to clap, say hello to guys when they, when they don't have to? Who's going to chuck up on their teammates? Who's going to start the team group chat? Who's going to lead the players-only meetings, even when we're winning? It's cool to have a players-only meeting when you're losing so we can figure it out. But how do you have a players-only meeting when we're winning so we can stay on track? Here's what I'm coaching these guys on. I'm not really teaching these guys anything but being leaders in their own right. And that goes with any – that goes in sports. That goes in business. That goes in life. That goes in being a better, bigger brother, a better husband, a better cousin, whatever the case may be. It's the same transferable traits that if you teach them with these fundamentals, you can never go wrong. I mean, number one, you are talking our language, brother, because we coach lacrosse. And at the end of the day, we don't give a shit if you become All-American, you play in college, or if you never look at a lacrosse league again after you graduate. What we care about is that we just graduated 16 seniors. That's all that matters. I just got I just got done writing up a card for each of them inside of a leadership book. 
And for me, I'm writing these guys' individual stories, and every single one of them has a story that ends in them becoming a better person at the end. And for me, I'm like, yo, we want, like, 16 for 16, there is not a championship that I would put ahead of that. Right. Um, So so you're definitely talking our language. But I did want to go back because I can't help it. You talked about it. We talked about going to baseball, right? Yeah. That's not your sport, et cetera, et cetera. I just think there's so many valuable stories of uh, – so, I, I again, I believe in trust. One of the things that um, a really good friend of mine who we had on the, on the first episode, Nathan, we always talk about this. The for, trust is actually a formula. There is a mathematical equation that I can show that will get you more trust if you do the right things. One of the components of the formula is expertise. Of the six components of the formula, expertise almost doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. It's the least important. So I say that to say that nobody gives a crap if you don't know about baseball. But are you willing to bring the guys together? Are you willing to listen? Are you li- willing to do the things that matter? And for me, um, that's why I'm so excited about you taking this role and sharing that, like, yo, I'm not an expert in baseball. Because to me, it, like, if you're an expert in leadership, then that actually doesn't matter because you can build trust by delivering on your promises, by being a really good listener, by delegating, by doing the little jobs that no one else wants to do. I could do that. Right. Um, so I'm just so excited, and I hope we get to, to track that journey to see how, how, it, uh, how it goes. No, 100%, man. I appreciate that. And uh, that what you say is, is 100% true. Sometimes being an expert in something actually hurts you because you think you know all the answers. And now when, it's like in basketball, if I'm telling a player, like, man, why are you doing like that? Because I'm an expert in being a point guard. I averaged this, that, and the third, and I worked out with so-and-so and Irv's one of my best friends and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They're going to be like, dude, shut up. You don't want to hear that right now. Um, and we're, we're still young. We're still trying to work. So it's always about learning. Being a lifelong learner, and you can be an expert at something and give that wisdom without being a lifelong learner. Because he may teach something to me in a different way that I didn't know I can learn it that way. So this is why I'm so excited about this journey and about just being open to this challenge of leading guys in a whole different sport. But I already see, like, I have the respect of the players already because they see I'm, like, I don't big-time none of my guys. Like, none of the players, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book to these guys. I speak about sports as um, openly like I speak about my life. It's the big part of my life. And I think they all get that and they respect it. Now, Andrew, going back, we're going to go kind of flip, flip gears a little bit. Yep. Can you speak to um, kind of the first time that you saw yourself as a leader and um, maybe explain what that situation was? Or was there something in your memory that you pinpoint like, okay, that's when I realized like I had what it took to, to be a leader? Obviously, you've been on a developmental journey. But what was that one point? Do you have a kind of a, a place that you remember? Um, I would have to say I grew up in a, a building, like an apartment building. It has about 19 floors in the building. Amongst maybe about 30, 30 teenage guys, my older brother being three years older than me, and being around his friends playing basketball, we had a team assembled that we would go to like a, a league called Citywide League. I was the youngest. I was in sixth grade. My brother was in ninth grade. His friends were like 10th and 11th grade. I was the youngest player on the team. And the finals of the citywide league um, were down by like maybe 15 points. And I remember like the whole team almost giving up. And I never played a minute almost all season because I was the youngest. And I told the coach, I said, man, put me in. These guys don't want to win. 
He looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I said, put me in. They don't want to win. Coach puts me in the game. We go on like a 17-2 run. We end up winning in overtime. I scored like 16 points. But in the last timeout of the game, I pulled my brother and like three of the oldest guys together and like almost smashed their heads together and said, we are going to win this game. I know I got it from. I know Plura came out of it. And they got, everyone just got excited. We ended up beating these guys, and they gave me the MVP of that game. And that was the moment I was like, whoa, maybe I, I can do this basketball thing. And that was the first moment of leadership where I'm like, I want to be in control or I want to be one of those guys that can help lead a team win. I felt it that moment when I was in sixth grade. Wow. Awesome. I love it. Would, um, and, and also looking back on your kind of childhood or, or, or your college career, can you pinpoint a, a leader uh, that really influenced you that you kind of try to emulate? And then on the flip side of that, we'll ask the, the follow-on question to that is, can you, can you name a leader that was like, uh, I, I don't want any part of that guy? Yeah, well, just one leader that I definitely um, would say I want to emulate was Coach Rob Evans. He's the guy who, he's the coach that um, recruited me to Arizona State and that I played for my first year before he got fired. Um, the whole year, he was under immense pressure. And I've never, ever seen him fold. He gave the same message every day, came to practice to work hard every day. Even when he got fired, he pulled everyone aside and told everyone what was going on and told everyone to keep in contact. And he kept by his word. We're great friends to this day. On the flip side, um, not the coach that came in, but a player that the coach brought in the next year that he tried to make the leader of the team um, really didn't stand by any of the words that he said he would. And he was kind of like the, one of those guys you call a front runner when things were going well. He was always the guy who wanted to be in front of the camera and acting like he's a leader. When things were going not so well, you won't even hear it. You won't even know he's in the gym anymore. And that's the guy I never wanted to be because the players, like we talk about trust, had no trust in him, and they lost all respect for him. So that's two instances there. That is, uh, you know, we really do talk a lot about you learn as much from the bad as you do from the good. Um, I'd, I'd love to kind of challenge that thought now and ask you how, like, could you pinpoint a time where you like, you had an opportunity to, to improve from seeing that, that you didn't want to do. So was there a time where maybe you were the leader and things weren't going so well and you were like, I, this is my job. I got to eat it right now. Yeah. hundred percent. My senior year of college, um, I was, I was newcomer in the pack before coming in. I was a big time player and, um, the coach didn't want to play me because I wasn't his guy, but I knew I had a responsibility because I've built this culture and this, um, this reputation about myself of always being a great leader and being one for the guys. I had to lead from the bench. My first time in my life sitting games. And I knew like, this is a tough situation. I really want to transfer schools. I really don't want to be here. This is embarrassing sitting on the bench in national televised games. When the year before I was leading the pack and assists, and um, I had to suck it up. I had to find ways that I could still lead in a different role. Um, and that's what I did for the whole year. And I literally mentored my freshman and sophomore players on the team until I graduated. I love that. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things we like to do is to uh, have you share what resources do you use to stay, to keep your cup full as a leader, to stay, you know, stay sharp, uh, whether that's a podcast or a, a book or anything? Well, the number one book I like to use is by one of my favorite authors called Robin Sharma. It's called Lead Without a Title. In this book, 
Um, it has all the pillars of leadership that we speak of, and you're just doing it without a title. It means just making sure, like, you're a superstar in your role, whatever that role is. Whether you're a janitor, you're the best janitor you can be. Whether you're a lawyer, you're the best lawyer you can be. Whether you're, you play lacrosse, you're the best at what you can do. Like, so basically the, that book is my reference point to when I feel like I may be falling off or I have a big meeting the next day, I will go back and tap into that book, read a couple chapters, look at what I have highlighted to keep my cup full. I'll use that as my reference. And on podcasts, uh, I would say it's not so much of a leadership podcast. It's more of like a podcast that I just use because I don't like to have idle time and not use it wisely. So I use, I, I listen to the Joe Budden podcast because I feel like they, they do share a lot of um, great concepts and they have, they speak their own mind in their own tone and they, and, and they speak on things that people don't want to speak about in not just the hip hop in, in the music industry, but just in life. So I enjoy that podcast. Joe Budden, if you're out there and you're listening, I tried to send you one of our hats. You should wear it. Yeah, Joe, what's up, Joe, man? Stop acting like Something that. Maybe I have to holler at Maul, man. I don't know what's up with Joe. <laughs> um, well, well, listen, man, you know, we promised you we'd keep it short. I, I can tell you I feel like uh, this is another one of those where we might have to have a round two at some point. <laughs> when it, I appreciate you guys for having me whenever you need me, especially on the round two. I would love to discuss what this journey looks like in the next couple months because I'm literally going down a path that I've never been but I'm excited about it. I'm like going to the uncharted waters of the unknown. And it's like, it's exciting for me. I, I love change. Well, if we can add any value for you along the way, uh, you know, we are, we're here, we're rooting for you. We're rooting for the tigers. We're rooting for the lions. We, we, we got you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys, man. Thanks so much. Uh, Andre, no this problem. was, this was episode 15. We did it. We appreciate you coming on. Nice. No problem. Thanks everybody. And uh, I appreciate you guys for having me.